do appreciate everyone's uh, presence today. I know we've got some in the congregation that are sick, some dealing with COVID issues. We've got some that are out of town. We've got a good number here today. Really appreciate everybody being here. I'll invite you to turn to the book of Ephesians this morning, the book of Ephesians. One of the great ideas that Paul discusses and teaches in the book of Ephesians is that now all people, Jew and Gentile alike, may enter into the body of Christ. In chapter 4, in verse 4, he says, There is one body. It's not a Jewish body and then a second body, a Gentile body, or a a body made of, of men and another body made up of women, or a body for free men and another body for slaves. There is one body of Christ, and all people, whether Jew or Gentile, male or female, bond or free, all people may enter into it. Now, it wasn't always that way. If you look at Ephesians chapter 2, you'll find that at one time, the uncircumcised, the Gentile world, were, he uses terms like separate, excluded, strangers, outside of the covenant people of God. And so look at that, chapter 2 and verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly, you the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you are at that time separate from Christ, separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. You're, you were excluded. You ever been, maybe in your youth, maybe as a middle schooler or a high schooler or young adulthood, excluded from a group that you wanted to be a part of? Maybe there was a group of kids at school and they were the cool kids and you wanted to be a part of that, but you were excluded. You are separate from them. You're separated and kept separate from them. And then he goes on to say, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And so maybe we know what that's like to be excluded, to be separated, to be alienated, to be strangers outside of the group that we would like to be a part of. Well, that was the situation at one time. Yet the Jews were covenant people of God. The Gentiles were separated. They were excluded. They were alienated. They were not part of that. But now, those who are at one time afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so you see that in verse 13. Now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make of the two one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, having put to death the enmity. There were Gentiles who wanted to be part of God's people. They wanted to be included in God's people. They would even go to the synagogues on the Sabbath day and listening to the, listen to the teaching. And, and uh, they were on the margins. They were on the periphery. They weren't really included in, in, the, in the body itself, but they wanted to be. And so when the gospel came to them, the gospel of Christ came to people like that, they accepted it with great joy and gladness and became part of the covenant of people of God through Christ. Good illustration of that is Acts chapter 13. Paul is in the city of Antioch, Antioch of Pisidia, goes to the synagogue there and preaches the gospel of Christ. Many in the synagogue reject it. 
And so he says, since you reject the gospel, we're going to go to the Gentiles. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Can you imagine the joy and, and uh, the celebration in the hearts of those people who realize now that you can be included in the covenant. You were alienated and strangers and excluded at one point, but, but now you can be included in a covenant relationship with God. And so they respond to become members of the one body of Christ. One body. There is one body. If we go on in the book of Ephesians, I want to look at chapter 3. I want to pick up especially on a particular phrase that he uses in Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to begin reading in verse 4. Now, he refers to what he writes, and he says, by referring to this, by what I'm writing, uh, you, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that Gentiles are fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel of which I was made a minister. It's interesting to me there that Paul refers to us all as fellow members of the body. Now, it wasn't always that way. At one time, you had Jews in the covenant with God, and Gentiles were not. But now, in Christ, both Jew and Gentile are reconciled in one body, and now we are all fellow members of the body. Fellow members of the body. Equal members in the body of Christ. Now, being a member of the body of Christ brings with it certain responsibilities. We're going to talk about those responsibilities a little bit this morning. We have a, what we might call a vertical responsibility. We as members of the body of Christ have a responsibility toward God. We have a responsibility to worship Him and to serve Him. We have a responsibility to live according to His will and seek to please Him in the way that we live our lives. We have a responsibility to behave in a way that brings glory and honor to Him. So that when people see us and they see the way we live, they see that we're bringing glory and honor to God. And so we have a responsibility toward Him, worship and serve Him, to live according to His will, to represent Him in, among the people that we circulate with and so forth. We have a responsibility to advance His cause in the world. And so Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1 tells us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you are called. You have a responsibility as a member of the body of Christ to walk worthily of the calling with which God called you, with which you were called. Now similar statements to that are found in, for example, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 12 where Paul says we are to walk worthily of God. And then Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10, we are to walk worthily of the Lord. We are to walk in a manner that brings glory and honor, that's consistent with the way the Lord would want us to live, that's worthy of the relationship that we have with the Lord, that's worthy of His gracious gift to us. Walk worthily of the calling, walk worthily of God, walk worthily of the Lord. That describes our vertical responsibility as members of the body of Christ. 
But we're fellow members of the body. We have a horizontal responsibility as well. We have responsibilities toward each other, toward our fellow members of the body. And I'll just talk about that a little bit this morning. Our horizontal relationship or our horizontal responsibilities, the responsibilities we have toward one another. I simply want to observe, first of all, that Christians are not meant to live in isolation from others. We're meant to be part of a larger group. We're fellow members of the body of Christ. We're part of a body. We're not to live in isolation, become Christians, and then sort of withdraw ourselves and simply exist and live with ourselves without mingling with, without associating with other members of the body. We're members of the body, after all. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, He put all things in subjection under His feet, gave Him to be head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. There are a couple of passages in the epistles in which Paul sort of fleshes out this analogy of the body, talks about it at some length, and talks about how the body, members of the body relate to each other. Look, for example, at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 12 through 14. Even as the body is one and yet has many members, your body, you have one body, you have one head, one body, but your body has many members. You have hands and feet and legs and arms. You have a head and eyes and ears and nose and all that. Many members, one body. For even as the body is one, has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. We're all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. And so we're part of a body with other members of that body. He goes on in Romans chapter 12, he to again, talk about the church as the body of Christ. Look especially at verses 4 and 5. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. So we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Each one is to exercise them accordingly of prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, and so on. We are members one of another. Remember the old song, you know, the you know, the leg bone is connected to the hip bone, the hip bone is connected to the backbone, and, and on, on up through the body. That's the way we are. We're connected to each other. We're fellow members of the body. In other places, uh, uh, other analogies and comparisons are used. For example, you go back to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19. You're no longer strangers and aliens. You're fellow citizens with the saints. And so the idea there is that we are citizens within the kingdom of God. We're, but we're fellow citizens. We don't live in isolation from each other. We live in community with one another. We're fellow citizens. And then in the uh, same passage, uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 21, he says that we, we the whole building, is being fitted together and growing into a holy temple in the Lord. And so we are being built together into a dwelling place of the Lord. Peter discusses this as well, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, where he says that each of us is a stone, a living stone, 
in the house of God. And so, verse 5, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices. So just think about this building. We have bricks on the outside of this building. And so each brick is a stone in the composition of the building. And so we, we individually, we who are in the body of Christ, we are like stones in building up the dwelling place, the temple of God. But as we relate to each other, as we are built together, the dwelling place of God is constructed. And so we're fellow members of the body. We're fellow citizens. We are all stones in the building of the house of God. That's true on a universal level. It's true on a local level as well. And so in Ephesians chapter 1, for example, verse 22, when it says that Christ is the head of all things to the church, which is His body, I think there he's just talking about Christ is the head of the whole universal body of Christ. And we are part of that body, and all, all Christians are part of that body. We're fellow members in that great universal body of Christ. But it's true on a local level as well. We're members of a local body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where he talks about your members of the one body. The, the body is not one member, but many, and each member has a role to play in that in that body, the hand has its work and the foot has its work. And when all members are performing their work as it should, well then, that works to the well-being of the body. And so he's talking about our responsibility on a local level there, isn't he? We're all members of a local body of Christ. And even though we're many members and have different functions, when we all relate to each other in the proper way, well, the body thrives, it grows, it prospers, it's healthy, it works. The point is that we're fellow members in this local body of Christ. Look at Acts chapter 9. When Paul becomes a Christian, Saul of Tarsus becomes a Christian, he, in verse 19, was for several days with the disciples who were at Damascus. He becomes a Christian and he'd gone there to persecute these people. But when he became a Christian, he was with them. He didn't become a Christian and then just sit by himself in his room and be isolated from other Christians. He was with them. He was with them from the very beginning. He associated with them. If you go down a little bit further, when he goes to Jerusalem, verse 26, he was trying to associate with the disciples. They were afraid of him. They knew his reputation as a persecutor of Christians, and so they were afraid to accept him into the group. Barnabas comes and vouches for him, and Saul becomes part of that group. He was trying to associate with the disciples. They were afraid of him and uh, not believing that he was a disciple. And he goes on in verse 28 to say, he was with them when Barnabas vouches for him. He was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, moving in and out with them. He was in and out with them. And so after he leaves Damascus and goes to Jerusalem, what does he do? Well, he seeks out the Christians there so that he can associate with them. And, and, and of course he does. Now there are times when Paul spends time by himself, like in the city of Athens, Acts chapter 17. But even then, when he's by himself, what's he doing? 
where he's going and reaching out to others with the gospel and he's trying to bring them into the group, establishing local churches, local bodies of Christ made up of individual members, banding together, working together, communing together, worshiping together, doing all these things together. That's the point. Last, last year in our lecture series, we spent a great deal of time talking about several passages in which this idea is communicated. We are members one of another. And so we are to be of the same mind toward one another. Romans 12, verse 16. We're to pray for one another. James chapter 5, verse 16. We're to admonish one another. Romans 15 and verse 14. We are to have the same care for one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 25. We are to consider one another. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. It's not good for us to be isolated. It's not good for us to be cut off from one another. We need to be together. We're not made so that we thrive when spending long periods alone. We have a basic desire to be part of a group. It might be a family. We want to be part of a family. Or it might be friends. We have a group of friends. We want, we want to be a part of that. We want to be together with other people. We want to have associates and colleagues and comrades. And I understand some people are introverts and some people are extroverts. But being a loner is just not a good thing. We're not made to be loners. And when that's our situation, it's not good. Now, the COVID situation has placed that kind of uh, stress on us and, and made that problematic and, and a certain condition can't get out and get among people and we're spending long periods of time in isolation and, and that's hard on us. That doesn't help us. It might keep us from getting sick or spreading the sickness, but it has some detrimental effects on us as well. And so we, we need to fight that. We don't need to become, become comfortable living apart from others. I don't mean just living generally, I mean spiritually, being apart from others. Let me I'll illustrate this way. You might have heard this before. When I was a little boy, moved to central Illinois, became a St. Louis Cardinals fan. It was a great time to be a Cardinals fan. They had two Hall of Fame pitchers, Bob Gibson and Steve Carlton, on the pitching staff. Lou Brock, another Hall of Famer, batted leadoff. I can still tell you the batting order. Lou Brock, Kurt Flood, Roger Maris, Orlando Cepeda, and then, then on. It was a great time. And and all the boys in the neighborhood were baseball fans. Some were Cubs fans, but others were Cardinals fans. And what do we do? Well, we spent time together. We played baseball. We'd get out. We had a vacant lot, set up a baseball diamond out there. We played baseball. Got in the backyard. We played catch, played little baseball games. It was great. We talked about the team, talking about the Cardinals. I listened to the games on the radio, watched them on TV. The few times they would be on TV. I'd come home from school, I'd get the newspaper, I'd read the box score from last night's game. You know? When we were at school, we'd talk about the team and talk about the games. In 1968-69, the Cardinals were in the World Series, 67 and 68. And I can remember the teacher pulling a television into the class, black and white TV, we were watching the Cardinals game. The Cardinals were in the World Series those years. Then, in the eighth grade, I was 13, we moved to North Alabama. Were any Cardinals fans there? And when I went to school, we didn't talk about the Cardinals games. And, and I didn't know many kids in the neighborhood. We didn't really live in a neighborhood. And so that, that was, uh, you know, that's kind of tough. 
and uh, nothing in the paper about the Cardinals. I can remember a few times at night trying to pick up KMOX, 50,000 watt radio station from St. Louis, and you could listen to the Cardinals games, Harry Carey and Jack Buck. But, but it was real staticky and, and, and really didn't come in very clearly, kind of come in and out. And so nobody talked about the games, couldn't read about the games in the paper, couldn't listen to the games, and so what happened? My, my interest in the Cardinals diminished. And pretty soon, I, I really wasn't that interested at all. Because I was in isolation, I wasn't with the others who had the same interest. You get the point, don't you? <laughs> we would even go to the games. Went down to St. Louis, and I think on July the 4th, it must have been 1969, I saw Bob Gibson pitch against Ferguson Jenkins, two Hall of Famers. But, but you know, when we moved to North Alabama, didn't go to the games anymore. Didn't talk about the games with my friends, didn't read about them in the paper, and, and I lost interest. But you get the point, don't you? If we live in isolation spiritually, if we don't attend the events, if we don't worship, come to worship, so forth, if we don't associate with others who have the same interest, if we don't spend our time talking about these things and learning about them, reading about them, and involved in what, what, what's going to happen? Well, our interest is going to diminish. And pretty soon, we're, we're not going to follow it anymore. So we're not meant to live in isolation. We're fellow members of the body. And we're supposed to interact and have a relationship with each other and encourage each other and, and so forth. And so that's just part of being a member of a body. So let's not cut ourselves off from each other. Let's associate more with each other. Second point I want to make is that as fellow members of the body, we have a responsibility to build up the other members of the body. For a responsibility to build them up. The primary bond between us is love. We love the Father. And John tells us, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 1, that if we love the Father, we ought to love those who are begotten by the Father. In other words, the children of God. We love God. We love His children. We love one another. And by definition, then, if we love one another, we'll seek each other's well-being. That's what love is. It's a commitment to the well-being of others, even when it's costly, even when we have to sacrifice to do it. That's what biblical love is. And so since we are members of the body and we're interested in each other's well-being, especially our spiritual well-being, it's our responsibility to build each other up. You know, as the individual members of the church are built up and increase in their knowledge and become stronger, so the church becomes more mature. As each individual Christian becomes more mature, or as each individual member of the body becomes more mature, the whole body becomes more mature. From the elders to the youngest member. And so as each of us is built up, becomes stronger, more knowledgeable, more dedicated, more committed. All the body, the whole body, makes progress as well. Each member of the body has a role to fill in building the body up. Now Paul talks about this, Ephesians chapter 4, and verse 16. From whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now notice that. The body builds itself up in love. The body builds itself up. We're building up ourselves. 
Oh, they'll have some agency and get the agency to come and build us up. We build ourselves up. How do we do that? According to the proper working of each individual part. When each individual part is working properly, the body is strengthened, it's built up, it thrives. Now, a moment ago, we looked at Romans chapter 12. I want to go back there because he mentions there some of the things that we can do as members of the body to build the body up, to make it stronger, to, to increase it, and uh, to bring it to maturity and full growth. So let's go back there, Romans 12, verse 6. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith. Although we have inspired prophets today, but at that time they did. If service in his serving. Now one of the things you can do as a member of the body to build the body up is serve. You can serve each other. And if that's your gift, so to speak, Well, then you do it with all your might, in service, in his serving. Or he who teaches, in his teaching. There's another thing that you can do to build up the body of Christ. You can be a teacher. And if that's your role, well, then do it to the very best of your ability. Or he who exhorts, in his exhortation. There's something else you can do to build up the body of Christ. That's not teaching. You know, some people might say, well, I'm just not a teacher. Okay, that's fine. There are other things you can do. You can exhort. You can encourage. Word exhort simply means to encourage. Or sometimes it's translated comfort. And so you can do that. You can build each other up by exhorting each other, encouraging each other, comforting one another. He who gives with liberality. Maybe that's your, your role in building up the body. Giving, do it with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. You get the idea. There's something for all of us to do. Some serve publicly, but but others fill other roles and perform other necessary functions to the body. Sometimes I I think we don't appreciate the value uh, of what we do. Sometimes an encouraging word spoken in passing or a simple act of kindness or just doing what you can. Remember the woman that anointed Jesus' feet and uh, she's being criticized by the disciples and Jesus more or less says, leave her alone. (laughs) She's done what she could. We're still talking about her today. She's done what she could. She's had a profound impact. And so maybe that's, it's just doing what we can. An encouraging word, a simple act of kindness can have a lasting effect. Maybe you can remember things that somebody told you. Now, they they may not remember them. It's just a statement. It's just a comment. Maybe just an act of kindness, and you remember that, and you think, that had a a more profound effect on me than that person realized. We all can probably think of, of those kinds of situations. Sometimes we sell ourselves short. I just don't have much to contribute when we do. And let me suggest this. Regular attendance at worship is one simple way we can encourage each other. We're to encourage each other. How do we do that? By assembling ourselves together, Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. I think sometimes people just don't realize how much their presence means and how much their absence disappoints. And so we look for a certain brother or sister, they're not there. It's disappointing. And we see another brother or sister, wow, 
they're, they're here, they're here regularly, they're here more regularly. That's encouraging. And so we, we just don't appreciate how much our attendance means and how much our failure to attend disappoints. We may think, well, I'm just one person, or we're just two people. We won't be missed, but you are. We may think, well, our contribution is minimal, but it's important. It's one less voice in the singing, one less hello, one less how are you doing, one less how can I help. You just never know. Just never know when what you say or do will have an impact on someone. We're members of one another. We're fellow members. We have a responsibility to each other to build each other up. And the last point I want to make is this. Fellow members of the body should walk in love toward one another. That's Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love. Just as Christ also loved you and gave Himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Walk in love. Romans 13, verse 10 tells us that love does no wrong to another. Love does no harm to another. And where there is love, Ephesians 4 tells us, there is peace and unity. We're to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. One way we do that is showing tolerance for one another in love. Going back to verse 2. Where there is love, there is peace, there is unity. In Romans 14, now I just want to notice one, one expression of Paul in Romans chapter 14. Remember that passage is talking about the eating of meat. Some were, felt themselves free to eat meat. Some ate only vegetables. And, and so he talks about that at some length. And he tells the meat eaters, now you, you take into consideration the conscience of your brother. You don't want to influence him to violate his conscience and eat meat in violation of that conscience. And so that means that you abstain from eating meat so that you don't influence him to do that, to violate his conscience. Okay, so, so be it. Verse 15 he says, For if because of food, trivial things such as food, if because of food your brother is hurt, you're no longer walking according to love. If he's, I'm going to eat what I want to eat. I got a right to eat it. I'm just going to eat what I want to eat, and just that's his problem. That's not my problem. You're not walking in love. You're not walking in love. If that's your attitude towards your brother, we don't want to do anything that would influence a brother to violate his conscience. We don't want to do anything that would damage our relationship with that brother. We don't want to do anything that would grieve him or distress him or hurt him in, in some way. In this case, the issue is eating meat. There are other issues that we might do damage to our relationship with our brother. We should be so close and sympathetic, in tune with each other, that when one rejoices, we all rejoice. When one weeps, we all weep. Romans 12 and verse 15. We don't want to do anything or say anything that will unnecessarily damage our relationship and our influence with others in Christ. Sadly, it's being done every day on social media. Feelings are being hurt every day. Relationships in the church are being damaged by what's said on social media every day. Brothers and sisters in Christ 
are being alienated from each other. And influence is being ruined. We're members of each other. We're to walk in love toward one another. We, 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 we don't want to hurt or grieve one another. We don't want to damage our relationship. We don't want to alienate people from us, our, our brothers and sisters in Christ from us. We want to build each other up. We don't want to tear each other down. And so I'll say, please, consider how we say what we say on social media. Please take into consideration the impact and the effect that our brethren who disagree with us, how this will impact our brethren who disagree with us on this, on this particular issue. We got, we got a good many people here. We might have 200 people, not, well, not 200 people today, but in the congregation, we might have a couple of hundred people. And we have a wide variety, I'm confident, of opinions on various hot topic issues. If we were to just open it up and say, oh, we're going to have a discussion on Second Amendment rights, what do you think would happen? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm confident. We have a range of opinions about gun control. And so what I need to do when I get on social media and I'm going to make a comment about this or that law, I need to remember I have a brother in Christ who may differ with me on that. I need to watch my words and guard what I say very carefully. What about an issue like border security, immigration, homeschool, public school, private school, <laughs> voting rights, mask mandates, vaccination efficacy, all of those things. We have a variety of opinion about those things. And I need to choose my words carefully, else I run the risk of alienating my brother, damaging my relationship with my brother. Well, you know, I, I, <laughs> I sometimes think, surely everybody sees this issue the way I do. Surely everybody thinks the way I do. Just make that assumption. After all, I'm well informed. My logic is very sound and, you know, just almost, almost infallible. Surely everybody sees it the right way, the way I see it. No, no. It's just not the case. First of all, sometimes I'm right, but I can be wrong. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes I don't even agree with myself. I change my mind sometimes. But because of my strong rhetoric and harsh language, I run the risk of damaging my relationship with others in Christ. On these topics are not Bible subjects. <laughs> yeah. And so I need to choose my words carefully. I need to think. Now, I have a brother and sister in Christ, and they may not see it the same way I do. How is my, the choice of language that I'm using in this post, how's that going to affect them? And while I'm at it, I might just say this. Be careful what you like. You know, you, know, you click on like. and Be careful what you like. Now, a person might take the same position as us, but his post is filled with all sorts of profanity and obscene language and ungodly. And you like that? Come on. Be careful what you like. And if you say, I don't care. I'm going to post what I want to post. I've got the right to free speech. I can say what I want. I can say it how I want. You're not walking in love. It's unfortunate that people have more zeal for their politics than they do for their brethren. That's unfortunate. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 10, Paul makes, just makes a comment almost in passing, I think, about the authority that he has in Christ. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 10. He says, For this reason I'm writing these things while absent, so that when present I need not use severities. He's worried that he will go to Corinth and, and there he's going to find things not as they should be, and he's going to have to come down pretty hard on them. And so, you know, I don't want to use severity in accordance with the authority which I, the Lord gave me for building up, not for tearing down. And so here's an apostle of Christ, and he says, you know, God gave me this authority for building up, not for tearing down. Well, that's why we, that's, that's, you know, some problems have to be addressed and, and issues need to be dealt with, of course. But whatever little authority we have, we need to use it for building up. Building up, not for tearing down. See, we're members of one another. We're, we're fellow members of the body. We're, we're part of a larger group, and that's to our benefit. It's not good for us to be isolated and to be alone. But as fellow members of the body, we have some responsibilities to each other to build each other up, to walk in love toward one another. And so let's set ourselves to that. Let's set our minds to that, building up and not tearing down. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for uh, the good word that you revealed to us in your scriptures in the Bible. We're thankful that we have access to it, that we can read it and understand it, and that we can live a life that's pleasing to you. Help us, Father, every day to think about our responsibilities toward you, to worship and serve you, to live a life that brings glory and honor to you. We're thankful, Father, that in Christ you've made it possible for us to be members of the body of Christ. But we understand, Father, that we are fellow members in that body with others, and that we have a responsibility toward them as well. Help us, Father, to build each other up, to bring each other along toward full growth in Christ. And help us, Father, walk in love toward one another, that we're committed to the well-being of each other, that we use our abilities and opportunities for building up and not for tearing down. Our Father, we understand that none of us will make it to heaven in isolation from others, by ourselves, only by ourselves that we need the encouragement and support that we gain from our brothers and sisters in Christ. And help us, Father, to exert that influence toward one another so that we all grow toward maturity in Christ in view of the coming judgment day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're not a member of this body, you have an opportunity today to respond. If you're